Hey guys, Ethan here. A few notes up top before we start the episode with Dwayne Anderson. Uh, one, I was a little under the weather when recording this, so apologies if I sound a little froggy. Uh, two, Dwayne was recording from his office in Utah, and uh, at a few points you can hear some background ambient chatter uh, in his office, so I tried to minimize that in post as much as possible, but sorry about that. And then lastly, I am looking for more interviews, so if you or someone you know is a director with an interesting story to tell, Hit me up on Twitter, just uh, at mention me at first feature pod or send an email to my first feature podcast at gmail.com and we will talk about getting you on the show. And as always, if you have been enjoying the show uh, thus far, it would be super great if you could jump on iTunes and uh, rate and review us on there. It helps uh, with our standings in iTunes and just helps with more visibility and um, more good things for the show. Uh, okay, that's it. On with the episode with Dwayne Anderson and his film Super Powerless. Making movies is really tough To get it all done you gotta know your stuff First you write a script then you raise some cash Shoot the film then you're done in a flash So here's some things that you need to know It's my first feature Hello and welcome to My First Feature. I'm your host, Ethan Cushing. I'm a director and producer working in Los Angeles, and this is the podcast where each week I interview a new filmmaker about the experience of directing their first feature film. With me today is writer, director, producer, multi-hyphenate Dwayne Anderson. Dwayne has produced and directed a wide variety of shorts, but recently directed his first feature, Super Powerless, which came out this year. Hi, Dwayne. Hi, Ethan. <laughs> How are you? Good. Good. We are in different states, but through the magic of technology, it sounds like we're in the same room. Yes. Where I'm, are you right now? I'm in Utah. Oh, great. Is that where you're from? I am. Uh, well, I'm originally from San Francisco, but I'm a uh, film professor at Utah Valley University in Orem, Utah, which is just kind of south of Salt Lake and kind of a triangle between south, uh, Salt Lake and Park City. Great. You're the you're the third uh, film professor that, you know, director slash uh, professor that I've had on. Uh, right. Nick Ozeki and uh, Jack Perez are also hmm, um, that's teachers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, that's a good gig, actually. It's a great yeah, gig. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I, I'm sure it also just keeps you sharp personally to, like, you know, keep you on your own game. Yeah, it really does. The only, the only, uh, the only downside is the downside is that it does take a lot of time. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, away from other things. Right. Um, so we, this is our first time meeting. Uh, uh, my colleague Nathan Whitcomb, who is a prolific sound mixer and designer. Uh, I believe he worked on your feature. Is that correct? Yeah, he worked on my feature. But prior to prior to directing Super Powerless, I uh, I produced about a dozen or so films. And Nate, and I think Nate was on. I think maybe his first feature as a mixer was a film that I produced by Dave Boyle called uh, Surrogate Valentine. Okay. And and he and I did. Uh, man, I think Nate and I have worked together like on five or six different films um, oh, wow. in different states and done some road trip movies where we've just kind of been on the road a lot. And, and uh, yeah, he's a chill guy. He's a guy I like to have around. So Yeah, so you've worked with Nathan a bunch and he has done a lot of sound for me as well. And we were uh, on a shoot together and I was talking about how uh, I was looking for more interviewees and, and he recommended you. So here we are. Oh, um, he's a nice guy. Yeah, can you, um, so I saw Super Powerless uh, this morning. Can you give me a quick synopsis of the film so the uh, listeners can know what we're talking about? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of the people that you talk to are um, people who are looking back at their first feature. Mm -hmm. And um, I've produced a lot of films and have been, I think it's like the 10 year anniversary of my first feature as a producer. 
And so Super Powerless is my first movie as a director, and it's not out yet. Uh, so we're in. Oh, it's not out yet. Okay, got no, it. no, you you are one of the rare few who has seen it, and uh -huh. uh, we are doing in the midst of deliverables, and um, and so uh, uh, so it's like coming out. Um, let's see. You asked, but I'm, I lost my train of thought. You asked me uh, just how it came to be the the film. Uh, no, first just a synopsis. Oh, the synopsis. Okay. The, uh, the super powerless is about a superhero who's lost his powers after he turns forty and uh, has to adjust to a new life. And it's a coming-of-middle-age movie. Great. coming-of-middle-age story, I should say. <laughs> Great. Um, so, yeah, that's the film. We'll get into it in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned being a producer. Can you talk about um, your journey in, in the industry and kind of where you started and where you are now? Sure. My um, <clears throat> uh, making films was something that I always wanted to do as a kid. Um, if you've seen Super 8, then that was me in the 70s. I shot a lot of movies in Super 8 film. Uh, my first thing that I ever shot was uh, in 1976 when I was 10 years old. And it was about a, uh, it was like a, a giant mouse from Jupiter was attacking the planet, you know. And, um, and so I always wanted to do it and it was just a dream. But when I got like into... I don't know, maybe college or late high school, I sort of got a little sort of sidetracked. And um, I ended up majoring in, in art in college um, and uh, partially wanting to go into film and thinking that that would be a nice, an okay segue. It was a fun thing to study. It was creative and it certainly wasn't going to hinder me from being a filmmaker at any time. Um, but then I saw my film, my art professors and I thought that was a really, really, you know, sweet life. You know, they just kind of painted and cruised in and talked about art to students and then left. I thought, well, I want to do that. So I got an MFA in oil painting and um, lived in New York City for a, a long time. Well, for a little bit. And then um, came back. I went to school. I'm from originally from San Francisco and I came or from Palo Alto specifically. Uh, and I came back and... Um, I went to school at Brigham Young University in Utah, and uh, I had an opportunity to come back and teach for like a sabbatical replacement or something. And the last thing I wanted to do was to come back to Utah, but I wasn't really making any money in uh, in uh, New York. And at that time, I'd started I, like I had a, a baby and sort of started a family. I was in my you know late twenties, uh, and um, and I uh, so I came back and. Uh, was trying to get a full-time teaching job somewhere, but it never turned up. And I just started making movies eventually. I just- In Utah. In Utah, yeah. Got it. And so, um, so my, you know, I started writing scripts firstly, and I got like an agent in LA and had some things sort of passed around town, but never really had anything kind of work. And then I, then I, um, then uh, I, I just said, I, I need to make something. And so I made this little film called The Old Woman that was about like a 45-minute film, kind of impossible time. And it, um, it wasn't really a feature. It wasn't really a short. Um, yeah, that's was, a long, short film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was based on a Russian short story, and, and, and nobody really knew what we were doing. I mean, I had some, like, students working on it, but then they were, like, they were the experts, you know? And um, and it's, pre it's pretty unwatchable. And then I made a short right after that called Shooting People, which uh, was okay. But again, I was directing them, and I, I, I realized that I didn't really know enough about directing to be enjoying what I was doing. 
And so, but what I was really enjoying was actually the making of the movie. I mean, I liked the producing part of it. I liked bringing all these people together and actually making this thing happen. And so that was really exciting to me. So I, so I, um, I just decided that I think I was a producer. And so I just started. Uh, That's kind of how you produce. Is yeah, yeah, deciding really. you are one. Yeah. Well, at that time, I was also getting, I was getting crew gigs. So the students who had hired me. Who I'd, who I'd brought in to work for free on my feature. I'm not, it wasn't a feature, on my mini feature. Um, started getting work and then started suggesting me to come in. So I started as a PA with these college kids. I was about 30, you know? What a weird reversal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really funny. I was like working as a free PA on things and I had a mortgage and a couple of kids by then. And, and then, um, and then, uh, and then because I was 30, I really climbed the ladder. You know, and within like a year or so, I was a location manager and I worked as a location manager for several years while I was starting to produce these little features. And and um, and what was the what was the general climate in Utah like? Film well, well Utah is a great film industry. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it's like it's not Atlanta or, you know, there's always every Ten, every five years, there's a different sort of hub. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, for a while it was Albuquerque, for a while it was Michigan. Um, currently, it's Atlanta. You know, it was Louisiana for a while. Um, and it's never been like, it's the, the incentive has never been so high that it's been like one of those. But it's got a good incentive and it's got, you know, beautiful mountains and ocean, sort of an ocean, the Salt Lake. I mean, you could do sort of, I've done like beach scenes and mountain skiing scenes on the same day. <laughs> and so, uh, so in the deserts, you know, there's great places to film and big movies come here. And, and uh, I, and a lot of independent films are filmed here, a lot of smaller independent films. And um, in fact, two films that are playing at Sundance this year uh, were shot in Utah. And so, um, so I was always on the smaller things personally. And uh, so I was working. It was always just, you know, kind of up and down. And, um, and then um, I, made a, I met this guy named Dave Boyle, who uh, is a, you know, really great up-and-coming filmmaker who you should probably have on your show. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he and I made a film together. He was actually a student. I was still doing adjunct stuff at BYU like one night a week. And teaching art, even though I hadn't done any art in like five years or six years or something. And he was a student and um, just had, you know, we actually met each other through a real, uh, it's just kind of a long story, but we, you know, we met each other and he was making this little film that I just kind of helped out with. I just recently bought a lot of equipment and um, I, I had the hottest camera on the market. I had the Panasonic DVX 100, you know, SD. Got it. Yep. You know, and so I was learning it. And so I said, well, I'll shoot your movie. And I'm a horrible cinematographer, but I, uh, but he didn't know that. And so I shot this horrible movie and, um, the cinematography was probably the, the worst of many bad things about that film. But I knew as I was working with him that he was kind of this genius, you know? And I mean, it was just really clear that this was a really sort of exceptional, um, filmmaker, even though he was making this kind of horrible movie. Um, but like after we kind of finished that, like six months later, he gave it to me and it was pretty bad, but there were moments of brilliance in it. And then, um, and then he, um, like six months after that, he gave me the script for this film called, uh, Big Dreams, Little Tokyo. And it was amazing. I mean, we really worked it after that, but there were like the whole third act we had never touched. I mean, it was just really this cool little script. And so we shot it and, um, 
I think uh, I think our budget was like two hundred thousand or something like that. A little less, maybe. It was pretty big, but that was kind of a different time too. And um, so this was was this his first feature film? Yeah, that was his first feature film okay. as a director, and it was as my first feature as a uh, as a producer. And so neither of us really knew what we were doing. And um, and our DP, it was his first feature film as a DP. I mean, it was you know, I mean, he was smart. He was a guy who graduated from AFI, knew what he was doing, but never you know, none of us had really made that leap yet. And so it was exciting. And um, and uh, I think two hundred is high. I think we were like more in the one forty range. But um, but then I made like Dave and I made like three movies together after that, and uh, each of them kind of had you know more and more sort of recognition. And our our third and fourth films got into uh, you know South by Southwest and and uh, really kind of put him on the map. And then he made a film called Man from Reno that was an Independent Spirit Award nominated film and won the LA Film Festival Grand Jury Prize. And I was on that, but I didn't get a producer credit because I was sort of kind of on and off and on and off. And there were other people who kind of put the money up, and so I was there as a helper and a friend, but not really in the official capacity as a producer. He says I produced it, but I, <laughs> IMDb doesn't, so. Sure. <laughs> so anyway, oh, where am I? So I'm just talking about getting a super powerless, I guess. So mm-hmm. so I um, so I never really saw myself as a director. It wasn't really something I was striving for. And, um, and uh, a friend of mine had a short script who, um, who uh, boy, this is, yeah, I forgot. This is a great podcast because it's long, and so I can. Talk. <laughs> yep. Just so ramble away. Yeah. So um, I had this friend who had this short that he wanted me. He wanted to make, and uh, he just had the script, and and he asked if I could help him with it because he didn't have a lot. He was an actor, you know, and um, and I said, yeah, why don't I direct it? I just sort of felt like it'd be fun if I were directing it, and um, and I had a great time. I hadn't directed in ten years, and. It was this, you know, I had the blast, you know. I'd, you know, produced lots of movies. Prior to that, I started working as a line producer and doing a lot of, especially on, like, low-budget type things. And then um, and then I, uh, um, so so shortly after that, I was, um, I was actually in Austria on an editing gig, and a friend of mine from Norway happened to drop in to visit. It's kind of a, and I, had, at the time, this little phone that was a, um, it was sort of a precursor to cell phones with video cameras, you know? I mean, that existed, but not with, this was, eight, this could do 1080, and cell phones couldn't do that yet. So this was about probably seven, eight years ago. And um, he said, you should be shooting a feature on this. You could shoot <laughs> a feature. He said, you could shoot a feature on this. You could. Because it was 1080, you know, it was before 2- 2K, and it was, well, I mean, essentially that's 2K, but, but um, you know, it was HD, and... I thought, you know, I could, and and when I was a kid, I would have. You know, when I was a kid, that's exactly what I would be doing. Not maybe a feature, but I'd be shooting stuff. And then I wasn't shooting stuff. I was just working, you know, getting jobs and making other people's movies. And um, so I started writing uh, a script, and I wanted to write a script for for, uh, a friend of mine who I used to make the movies with when I was a kid, which was this guy named Josiah Polhemus who was the star of the movies that I would shoot as an elementary school kid. And um, then he moved away about eighth grade, and I lost contact with him. And then shortly after Big Dreams Little Tokyo came out, I Googled him, or shortly while we were in post-production, I Googled him, and I found that he was an actor in L.A. 
that, you know, so he was kind of doggedly sort of trying to live this dream the same that I was doing. And it was very inspiring to both of us. And we just, you know, suddenly we were best friends again. And so he appeared, his voice appeared in Big Dreams of Tokyo. He appeared in Surrogate Valentine and in White and Rice, which was the second film we made. And I tried to get him in a lot of my films. And, and, but we wanted to do one that I was directing and that he was starring in. And so Joe's kind of a big, shaggy guy. And the, I, I immediately kind of thought of this guy who used to be a superhero who has lost his powers and is trying to deal with his life. And I had sort of a brief outline for Super Powerless while I was on the editing gig for two weeks in Austria. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote the script and got it to Joe. And and Joe had married this, had, well, actually at that point he was dating, living with this woman who we knew in junior high school, who we um, both kind of had crushes on in junior high school and she had a crush on on him and uh, I wasn't sorry, I wasn't in that mix you know yeah. and uh, and then again when Joe went away you know she had never met and after Joe and I had gotten together he um, also reconnected with her and they started dating and now they're married they got married before shortly before so I wrote her in as as the his girlfriend so so Joe her, that that character or like literally that person yeah, well, literally that person. So, so oh, wow. Mimi is played by Amy Prosser, who is this person that we knew in junior in high life. school. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow! And Bob is played by Josiah Palhimas. And right. And a lot of what Bob talks about are things that about his childhood and stuff are things that he and I experienced. This that turtle that they go to in the park and that school that no longer is there. That was our school and. And there's a lot of very sort of autobiographical things. It's sort of like I wrote an autobiography about two other people. <laughs> so I sort of did a Gertrude Stein and and wrote an autobiography of my two friends sort of filtered <laughs> through my life. So. Sure. Um, yeah, so so just to reiterate, if, if I as the viewer could give a synopsis, you know, Bob is this uh, superhero who is a bit past his prime and has lost his powers somehow in, in the process of aging. <laughs> and uh, is living with his girlfriend and uh, a bit rudderless. And like you were saying, I think kind of like a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, I think it's about accepting who you are now and about um, who you want to become halfway through life, so to speak. And yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to go into too much detail in terms of like the things that happen, but. Um, well, it's about, it's about learning to live a good life. You know, and how to, uh, and it's about, um, yeah, exactly that. Living in the moment and uh, appreciating life for what it is. So Yeah, and, and it's a very, you know, it's a very kind of contained, intimate sort of character study, I think, right. uh, in, in San Francisco, which is where you guys are from, right. incidentally. So yeah. uh, talk, talk to me about that. So, so you have the script and you were inspired by the reconnection of your own friendship and uh, of these other characters. Um, but how did it go from page to screen? Well, it actually, like I, I had a, I had the script, and um, I have to also mention that uh, I have a friend named Dominic Ma who co-wrote the script with me. I'd kind of written it, and he had written a musical that had a uh, song in it called "Super Powerless," and I thought oh, that'd be a great title. And I um, approached him about it, and I realized Dominic was a big fanboy, and had a, has a blog about superheroes and stuff, and. And, um, you know, I love superheroes as a kid and have certainly s- 
sentimental attachment to superheroes, but no one would ever call me a fanboy. I'm really not. And um, so I thought he'd be really great to come in and kind of help on the script. And he really, he really helped, especially with the dialogue. He was really influential. And um, so we had the script, and it, for a long time, we were just not doing it. We weren't doing anything with it. Um, and we were very much like the characters in the movie who kind of had these dreams and just weren't, weren't willing them into place, you know. And, um, and finally, I was just like, this is ridiculous, you know. This whole script is about not doing exactly what we're doing. And if, if we never make this, then, you know, we'll regret it forever. And so uh, we decided that we were going to raise some money to shoot, like, what essentially would be a Kickstarter video, you know, like a teaser type thing. And within a few, like, he was able to call, like, I I guess his dad. He called his dad, and his dad was like, yeah, I'll give you, you know, I think five grand or something like that. Nice. Thanks, and Dad. I, and I was like, wow, that's awesome. I said, you know what? The budget I have for this movie is only like 35000 you know, or maybe 30000 or something like that. It's really small. I said, we're, you know, we're like a fifth of the way there. <laughs> you know, maybe if we just push a little further, we'll actually get the money. And so... You know, I've raised money for movies before, and and I started calling some of the people that I know, and and they stood up, they they stepped up, you know, and we were able to get the money and and um, for production, and then um, so the production budget was around thirty. Yeah, yeah, around thirty-five. Yeah, and so uh, you know, and when you have a script that I mean, I knew I wasn't going to make it for much more than that, and so you know, you write it in a way that you know that that's going to work, and so. I mean, the house that we film in, like, I would say 30% of the movie takes place in Joe and Amy's house, and or Bob and Mimi's house, which is Joe and Amy's house, mm -hmm, and right. so we, and where I was sleeping, and where, you know, I mean, every the production office was, where everything else is, you know, that's how you make these movies, and, um, and so it's, it really comes down to the writing process, and so that was a big part of it, and so, you know, we shot for 15 days. And um, and we're able to get just about everything. The one thing we didn't get, just because we couldn't get the location time, is this big sequence on the rooftop looking over the city. And I really had in mind what I wanted up there. And we just, you know, any location that we had access to was a compromise. And we just couldn't get it. And so we knew... Well, yeah, I mean, I would say at $30,000, like, are you, are you even paying for any location? Or is everything a freebie or a favor? Almost everything is a freebie. I mean, I think, you know, like the law office where Mimi's character works was the law office where Amy worked. I mean, I was, we were just, it was almost a documentary in some senses. Hmm. And so, um, and so, uh, yeah, I can't, I mean, I know we did pay for some locations, but I can't remember what they were. And there was nothing that was expensive. And San Francisco is really great about that, actually. San Francisco as opposed to LA is um, very like low budget friendly, you know, people kind of dig that you're making a movie and, you know, don't really charge much. So that's good to know. Yeah, it's good to know. It's, and, and the great thing about the city is that you can point your camera anywhere and you're looking at something really cool. You know, it's yeah. just a beautiful place. And so, um, parking is expensive. <laughs> I think our parking budget was about as high, if not higher than our location expense. So <laughs> our rental expense. So, um, uh, and I got my car towed 
and it cost $700 to get the car back. Oh. $700. I've been towed in LA, that was 200 bucks. I thought that yeah. was steep. But man, $700. And my car was, you know, I would have just left, give, donated it. Because I don't think it was <laughs> worth $700. But it had oh, no. all, it was a minivan with all of our G&E equipment in it. So I had to get it back. Oh, yikes. Anyway, so, um, yeah. So we shot and then we did, um, you know, we're planning on some pickups. And what well, oh, ha- hang on, hang on, hang yeah, on, yeah. slow down. So, so you're <laughs> shooting. Uh, so you raise the money. Mm-hmm. You have this thirty-five grand or so. You try to be very strategic in the locations in terms of the writing. And so you're, you're, uh, you know, there's the house. There's a lot of the exteriors. Um, there's a lot of stuff where I imagine you could probably steal as well. Yeah. Um, and um, San Francisco uh, has a great film office. I've worked with them a lot. They have uh, their permits are fairly cheap, but mm. uh, we were we stole everything outside. So. Sure, uh, as as you should. And now I wonder. I mean, we're talking about a a superhero post career. Was there any ever temptation? In, in the writing process to like write some sort of Birdman-y sequence or like something well, where you see a hint of his powers or was that yeah. just, was that creative um, or budget? No. Well, you know, I think creative more than budget. Um, budget, obviously. I mean, the thing about it is superhero movies are spectacular. And we were making a movie that at its core was not spectacular. You know, I mean, there was nothing about the movie that I never wanted to try to make a low-budget superhero movie, though I wanted it to be about a superhero. Um, But so I didn't, um, you know, people are tantalized because they know his costume is in this trunk and uh, they don't ever get to see it, you know, and... Yeah, it's very Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and you're right, right. And and so there's there's these um, um, sort of hints at the world of these superheroes, but it's it's never, because it's not about that. First of all, there's many reasons. One is, first of all, low-budget superhero, like costumes and stuff, always, to me, look really lame. And, and, um, and then um, there's also, it's just, you know, by, I kind of want to just flip the whole thing on its head, you know, and make it more about um, just these people. And that this could be a guy who was a fireman who now can't run upstairs, so he has to have a desk job type thing, you know. And so, so I didn't want the superhero element to be what it was about. And so, like my 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 co-writer Dominic Ma is younger than I am, and and kept saying, well, what if he had got this power back, or what if he got this power back? And I was like, Dominic, when you're old enough, you'll know the powers don't come back, <laughs> you know? And so, and so that was the thing is that it just, it can never turn or, or this idea of maybe one of these people is actually an, a villain that he has to beat that is revealed later and he has to somehow, but the villain is himself. The villain is his, his, his mindset. And, and so that's all that he's battling. And so that was mm. part of the, that was part of the, um, the fun of it is just kind of, uh, kind of having that there, but always kind of pulling it back and and not going yeah, there. Fair enough. Um, how did you approach? How did you approach your crew and, and the kind of the keys? Uh, were those people you knew in San Francisco, or were those like kind of Craigslist hires? Or well, no, no, no. Uh, uh, the only way to make a, a success, well, so I've made a lot of sort of micro budget movies. You know, I've made this is this isn't the cheapest movie I've ever made. The, the budget ultimately is around sixty thousand, maybe seventy or so. 
and this is certainly isn't the cheapest I've made. And, um, and, uh, but I've never, I've made a lot, you know, just kind of in this range and a little higher. And in order to make it so it actually is a good film, um, I think, you know, you've got to have professional people working on the movie. And in order to get professional move, people to work on a movie this level is they've got to be your friends. And so yeah. that's a huge benefit of for me is that I'd worked long enough in the industry and everybody was just kind of cheering me on. And I have people like Nathan Whitcomb, you know, mixing and doing post. And I have, you know, our DP has shot, you know, two, two dozen movies or or, or so and and uh, Gaffer is extremely talented and, and a makeup artist who is extremely talented and a, a re-recording mixer at the end who's an Emmy Award winner and you know just people who uh, who really know what they're doing and are working for a, an embarrassingly low scale just because mm. they're they believe in it and they're happy to do it and then several really awesome volunteer kind of student types who really kick butt and knocked out of the park so yeah that makes total sense um and then did you i mean what was the process like i mean uh you know you'd produced a bunch um you were creative in other artistic arenas like you were saying painting and whatnot and you've taught taught a bunch were you did you feel adequately prepared for this experience or were you um kind of well did i well that's a no (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't. And, you know, I heard somebody some say somewhere recently that the uh, the director is the last entry-level position on a film set, <laughs> you know, and very often it's the director who has the least amount of experience just because they don't do it every day. And I feel like while, you know, I was okay, I certainly didn't embarrass myself and no one on that set thought, boy, Dwayne's a horrible director. What's he thinking? But... um but I certainly hope that I get a chance to do it again sometime so that I can kind of practice what I've learned a little more and refine my what, craft. And what have you learned? That's a good question. So, so what did this well, movie teach you about directing? Well, I produced a lot. And so I, I was okay with all the sort of production elements and, and film elements and how to make a movie. And I had a great couple of great co-producers, people who were helping me out. Um, and, uh, who uh, produced it with me. Um, uh, but as a director, you know, my experience working with actors is very limited. Um, and um, I, you know, I had a, a pretty good repartee with my friend Joe. Uh, it was interesting working with Amy, who is a great actress. I think she does very well in the, in the film. Um, but she'd never been in a film before. And uh, she's a theater actress. Um, you know, it's done theater in huge arenas, big big venues. You know, and is very accomplished. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, and and she does a great performance. But I think we, I think it could have been uh, even better. And I think uh, um, not for lack of her skill at all or her performance, but entirely. And this is true about everyone. But for lack of my ability to to sort of direct them. We had Guinevere Turner as her friend. Guinevere Turner is uh, an actress who's in, and a writer. She wrote um, American Psycho and is in American Psycho. And she wrote Go Fish and stars in Go Fish. And she's in um, a whole bunch of movies, um, Chasing Amy and a bunch of other films. Um, And 
it was really interesting for me to be directing uh, both of them because they come from a totally different spectrum. Guinevere is very pro film actor and Amy is very new film actor, but extremely talented. And I think I just didn't direct either of them very well. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was just kind of lost in the middle. And yeah. But they're both great, and they both do great. I, I, you always have to be careful about saying that. I, I'm not being critical of them at all. I'm just being entirely just on me that, you know, uh, Guinevere, um, Guinevere uh, would come in and was very loose with the dialogue and very, you know, improvisational. And because we were kind of rushed for time, I... Uh, kind of give her two or three takes, and then I would, you know, then I'd say, great, let's move on. That was good. But she, I think, was just getting better always, and that if I pushed her more, uh, she would have found stuff that's even better. And Amy, being a theatrical actress, was used to kind of getting it right once and then kind of going with that the same way. And if I had given her more liberty at the beginning to improvise and to do more, she would have done, you know, so they were both coming in different ways. And I just, I, I didn't know the nuance yet of working with actors who have different styles and different approaches. And it's funny because they're working together. And it wasn't even on set that I was like struggling. I mean, we were doing fine on set and the stuff we got was great. But as I reflected on it, I thought, man, I wonder if I could have done this and this and this, and this. you know, mm -hmm. it's all in, it's all in retrospect, but yeah, absolutely. Um, what was your relationship with the DP like? I mean, did you have that film language down with, with him? Yeah, the DP and I, did, uh, my DP is Bill Otto. And this was actually like our seventh film that we'd worked together with. Me always as a producer. But we we had, we're good friends. So we developed, we were just friends. And so there was a lot of trust. It was great. It was a great for a first feature to have someone that you trust so much you know, was so great and, um, and, you know, respect. And he would, you know, I mean, there were several times where he would be like, uh, what if we did this? And I'd be like, yeah, that's a really great idea. Um, but most of the time he's a great director for first time, deep first time directors. And I've used him with first time directors several times when, you know, knowing that because he's very patient and he's very smart and he's, you know, does exactly what, you know, he doesn't push an ego or has no ego really just, you know, but occasionally he'll have great input too, you know, so it's a nice combination. So, um, yeah, we yeah. had a, we had a great experience and I think his work is really good in it considering the little that we had to work with. So, uh, is there anything that you remember being particularly proud of uh, in the moment or in retrospect? Um, yeah, I mean, I was proud of a lot of the things I just contradict. I'll contradict myself, but a lot of the things I was proud of was moments when I was working with actors, and 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 it went well. You know, I mean, I mean, I feel like um, I feel like uh, just the more you're able to do it, the better you are. And and um, and I don't really have any real specific moments, but there were there were times um, that. Um, and, you know, where you just uh, you just sort of get an idea, you just kind of figure something out and and you work with it and you come up with a way to do something. Um, I think the things I'm most proud of from that I've that I did, what I'm most proud of are the things other people did, uh, the cinematography, the sound or the music. Um, but um, I'm proud to have brought all that together. Um, but um, I think what I'm most proud of is um, is. Uh, is things I did in post, some some editing choices and some 
uh, you know, decisions to to kind of pull it all together and make it work. So mm, fair, yeah. Um, so you said it's not out yet, but uh, did you finished it? You got it cut. Um, were you able to sell it, or are you still in that process, or well, festivals, or what? We had a we had an interesting. It's such an interesting sort of thing because I'm used to this. I'm used to fest film getting in a lot of festivals and playing at a lot of festivals and then struggling to get distribution. Okay, that's that's what I'm used to. Um, and we didn't get into a lot of festivals. Um, in fact, we've only gotten into one festival, and that was Fantasia, which is a huge festival. Uh, Fantasia International Film Festival in Montreal. It's a huge genre festival. Now... I never. I entered that on a whim because I never really considered superhero, su- super powerless, a, a, a genre movie. You know, it's, it's not, a f- it's not a superhero movie. I mean, if it is, I mean, I can. I imagine that a lot of real diehard superhero fans will watch the film and be feel like they were ripped off. You know, um, but other real diehard superhero fans totally get it. You know, and that was the reaction at the festival, and it had a very good reaction. And uh, and then we got we were very surprised to get a uh, r- a really nice review in Variety from that yeah I read from, that yep. from that festival I mean it's it's not like this is the best movie ever made but it's a very positive review it's not Dwayne Anderson is terrible like, yeah that's you know, for sure that's, yeah it's great. really nice yeah yeah it's very complimentary and and you can tell that uh, um, is Dennis Harvey is the the critic who wrote it that he was you know he was charmed with the movie. Um, and um, and that really helped us. Um, and I have a sales rep named Oliver E.K. Um, who uh, who really believes in the film and uh, just has been pushing it out there. And then one day he calls and says, OK, we have a distribution deal for you. And uh, there, it's going to be a very small sort of theatrical release, which is beyond my furthest wow. imagination. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and so it's going to be in play in five cities. And, I mean, I was thinking I'd like to try to get, like, some little theatrical, at least in San Francisco or something like that, you know, one night sort of thing. So it's going to play at least one night in five cities, which is beyond my wildest dreams, and then be released in digitally, like, the week after or that date, depending on the deal, how it's set up. And uh, then to even fr- even further blow my mind is um, he got us a foreign deal. So it will be released digitally in Asia, in Scandinavia, in Germany, in the UK and Australia. And, um, and you know, we didn't even do an M&E track um, mm-hmm. be- because, you know, I thought there's no way this is going to get foreign sales. It's got no actors in it. There's no kind of name actors in it and so yeah so that was the furthest thing from my mind and now we're scrambling to do an m and e do you want to explain that if there's any an m and m and e track is a track is an audio track that doesn't have that has music and effects but no dialogue and so so a foreign country place like japan for instance will dub your uh your dialogue into japanese and they still need the Foley sounds of somebody sitting or getting up or walking down the street. So you have to Foley everything 
and have that track. And we were going to save a little money by not doing it. And now we're spending more money by doing it. <laughs> Actually, people are still giving us these amazing deals and breaks and doing it out it's of love and It's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a great problem to have. Yeah. So, so well, congrats. That's great that you got distribution. And um, when when is it being released uh, uh, domestically? We, we are literally we are literally in the time where we don't quite know yet. We've signed the papers. They're trying to okay. figure out the dates. I'm delivering things. And, uh, you know, I signed the papers like... Uh, last week or wow. you know, so it's very new um and it's you know it's super exciting and and it's you know it's weird not doing the festivals but ultimately you know you want to be in a festival so that your movie can get out there in a bigger way and you don't make money on festivals it's not like i'm gonna make a ton of money from distribution but but you know sometimes you go into a festival and you've spent money on a publicist and and you you try, you're trying to make it as good for you as possible. And you go in and there's 50 people in the theater and, and you know, and all of their ticket sales are going to the festival and you're kind of promoting a festival, you know. So, um, so uh, I love festivals, but, you know, sometimes they're, they're not quite everything, you know. I mean, just playing in a festival isn't the end goal of making a movie. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times, you know, that does kind of feel like a finish line in its own right, just to, you've, you've killed yourself for this movie and you just want people to see it right. somehow. Right. And if a festival affords you that, sure. you know, while taking sure. your money, it still feels like a win. Right. Um, but then, you can, like you said, you can go home uh, flush with the victory of being in a festival and be like, now what? But you've right. already achieved that now what, which is great. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So, so... You've you've done this journey. I mean, as a first time feature director, you've you've done this thing. You talked about maybe things you would have done differently uh, with actors, but you know, what would you tell? You know, what what are you telling your students now, or what are you telling a, a director who wants to make a first time feature? What's the advice you can impart upon having made this film? Yeah, the uh, you know the I speak like you. I speak to a lot of filmmakers, and I bring filmmakers into classes, and I Skype them in, and I, I do all sorts of different things, and I bring students to LA, and and I always ask them, "What's the advice?" And I agree with the advice that everyone else says, which is one: just make stuff. You know, just you know, you absolutely need to be making things, and to be working, and to be shooting stuff, and to be writing, and to be directing, and to be doing whatever you're doing. And a lot of the stuff that you make, it's okay to make garbage you know it's okay to make stuff that isn't great um and especially with that's a great thing about shorts you know or just going out and shooting stuff that doesn't have um you know when you make a feature it's sort of you know you sort of don't ever want to make a bad feature right but short who cares just make bad shorts that's fine um just to learn the craft and uh then the other thing is um this is advice that i think it was michael tolley told students but I've heard it from other people. Um, Michael Tolley, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a great filmmaker, and he, he started the website Hammer to Nail and um, and made a great film called Ping Pong uh, Summer um, and a movie called Septium before that. That's amazing. That was it. Both of those played at Sundance. And, and another one before that, that, he's made like three or four films. Um, and um, he said, don't make your dream project your first project you know if you've got this dream to make this you know the movie that you've been writing since you were a kid and that's your dream don't put all of those eggs in the basket the first time make a movie that you're going to care about a whole lot less early because because then when it's done great you can walk away from it and you can 
eventually build up to that to that project. For him, it was Ping Pong Summer, which was an autobiographical project, which he made like as his fifth film or something. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's. I think it's good advice. I think it's antithetical. I think maybe to more idealistic filmmakers out there who want to make Mr. Holland's opus on the first go, but as you said, <laughs> typically that's a great maybe <laughs> it's a deep cut. Uh, that's but a maybe great don't have the chops film. yet. You know, yeah, right. um, yeah. Working so interesting. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Working good, to good it. advice. Um, all right, Dwayne, you're almost done. We got two more okay. things to do. Uh, next, we're going to play a game <laughs> called Lost in Translation, and what I do is I take IMDb. Uh, movie synopses. I run them through Google Translate uh, back and forth across like 20 different languages. And what <laughs> you get is a kind of back to English, a little garbled uh, synopsis that you have to figure out what the film is. So the theme Great. this time, there's three synopses. They're all uh, animated films that I enjoyed in 2016. So they all came out in 2016 and they were some of my favorites. Okay, great. I haven't seen That's any the of them. Theme. Okay, so. great. <laughs> this will be great then. Uh, I, think you'll get, I think you'll get at least one of them. All right. So here's the first one. Friendly fish, forget the blue, start looking for a long-lost relative, and all people will learn more about the true meaning of family. <laughs> I would guess that's Finding Dory. Correct. <laughs> Very good. All right. One for three. Next one. Human animal with admissions officers, Fox, will have to work together to uncover the suspected collusion, corruption in the city. I would guess that's Zootopia. Also correct. Good job. <laughs> And number I love three, Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> number three, rolled meat and about the purpose of their existence. Discover the truth. Say that again. Rolled meat and about oh. <laughs> the purpose of their existence. Discover the truth. Uh, that would be a, a sausage party. That's what's correct. Called, right? you, yeah. Good job, man. Three for three. Uh, very good. Uh, all right. And now we will do the speed round, which is just uh, a bunch of quick questions. Don't try to think, just answer off the top of your head. Perfect. Um, if you, if you can't think of it, I will edit it to make you sound smart. <laughs> uh, Good. Okay. What's your favorite movie quote? Uh, have fun storming the castle. And can you, what's the, what's the film? Oh, Princess Bride. That just came oh, to right. mind. I don't oh, know if that's yeah. my favorite yeah, yeah, yeah. quote. That's good. Have fun storming the castle. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, what's your desert island movie? You get one to watch for the rest of your life. Uh, Wings of Desire. Ooh, okay. What what uh, what about that one? Oh, it's just look. If you see, you can see it's on my wall right up there. It's just a uh, movie yeah. I could watch over and over again. I just love right. it. I think it's beautiful. Perfect. Which director would you body swap with and inherit his or her filmography from this point on, and then you are now sort of like bigged into them? Um. Boy, I just saw Moonlight like a few weeks ago, a month ago yeah. or so, and uh, I walked out thinking I can never do that. And uh, <laughs> boy, and I, I just wish I could. I thought it was yeah. Barry Jenkins. So I'm going to say Barry Jenkins right now because I don't have to think. So it's yeah, the first it's, one that comes to mind. And it's a great film and yeah. everyone should watch it. Um, do you have any, uh, as a producer or director, do you have any pre-shoot rituals? That you kind of, I have a uh, I have a list of things to remember before I go into production. It's mostly as a producer. Um, there are things like like fifteen dollars a day per person for craft service isn't enough. All these sort of all these sort of things I've learned. One of them says, one of them says um, you're going to get depressed halfway through production. Just mm. don't don't worry about it. Prepare for it. 
you'll get over it. This is like a Jekyll and Hyde list. So like when you're sober in the, cl in the clear of the day, you can remember these things. In the right. Absolutely. There are, there are two things I do, though. I tend to watch two movies before I go into production. I watch um, uh, well, I watch um, uh, Lost in La Mancha. The other is Truffaut's Day for Night. And uh, another sort of two movies about production where things, everything seems to go wrong. And I just really like, I don't know, there's something sort of masochistic about watching those and then going for a shoot. You always feel like you're going to do okay. You're going to be okay. That's fun. Uh, dream actor to work with? Brad Pitt comes to mind. Great. And lastly, uh, well, excluding Moonlight, what's an underrated film everyone should check out? Uh I'm going to give a pitch for uh, a, a plug for my friend Bruce Cohen. I just saw two nights ago a bleed for this in theaters, oh, right, yeah. in theaters yep. right now. And uh, it's getting some good reviews and buzz, but it's kind of under the radar. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exceptional. So. It is very good. I yeah. agree. <laughs> Co-sign on that. Uh, terrific. Dwayne, you, you did it. You made it to the end. Ha, I did it. <laughs> Congrats. Right. Well, thank so, you for having me. You're welcome. Um, so... If people want to see Super Powerless, I, I tweeted the trailer today uh, on uh, my Twitter, but we can't see it yet because we don't know when it's coming out. We don't know when it's coming out. Uh, by summertime, I expect it. I'm, I'm expecting, I'm hoping that we can pull off a little like screen, maybe a screening, but some sort of uh, presence at Comic-Con in July. Oh, great. And uh, then afterwards, uh, shortly after there, it should be available. So Okay, so we're in... in if people want to be able to follow the trajectory of that, can they follow you on Twitter? Or they absolutely or? can. My, they there would be very little excitement for them to follow me on Twitter. The movie is is at splmovie.com or whatever is splmovie at splmovie. Uh, I don't use Twitter the way I should. Uh, super, it's facebook.com. Super Powerless Movie is a little more active. There's also a website which is superpowerless.com, which still isn't even set up yet. So uh, there you go. So look for it in July. The great thing about podcasts is a lot of people are going to listen as soon as you post this, but hopefully people will come back to it. So. Absolutely. Uh, that's great, man. Well, I am at Ethan Cushing on Twitter. The podcast is at First Feature Pod. If you want to get in touch, email us at myfirstfeaturepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I am still looking for some more directors for the winter season here, so hit me up. And lastly, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us get more visibility and opportunity. I know Dwayne's going to do it. Right, Dwayne? Yes, sir. Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, and that'll do it. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye.